It's the end of the day and you're all worn out You're wondering if this is what it's all about You got one off to school and two at your heels You listen to the laughter but also the squeals And you say to yourself, I'm not cut out for this Then you remember the hug and the kiss And one day it was all worthwhile To love and to care for, to always be there for To help them prepare for heaven You pray to the Lord to strengthen your grip You feel after today you're starting to slip And he watches and listens and kindly bestows Just what you need, for he only knows As you close your eyes and you fade off to sleep Praying for each one, their soul he'll keep And as tomorrow approaches another long mile To walk, to squawk with, to find the right sock with To take time to talk about heaven And into the night as you peaceably rest But suddenly wake to a cry of distress They come down with the flu, you're up through the night A mother turned nurse in the blink of an eye As you're holding the hand and you're ministering love You think of the sacrifice of him up above And then it all comes home just what it's all about To live, to die for, to pray and to cry for To open young eyes to heaven Thank you, buddy. What a beautiful song, and uh, what a gift that is. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to take a break from our Romans series this morning. If you've been with us uh, for a few weeks, we started the book of Romans the week after Easter. We'll return to that next week, but we're going to take a break from that this morning and uh, kind of hit on this same theme that was talked about at the women's tea yesterday which is unto every generation. 
And, you know, the thinking about the importance of communication between generations and passing things on to generations. I was thinking about this theme and how important it is for us as a church. You know, church is one of the rare and unique places where you gather in a room like this with people of very different generations ages and places you come from. I'm guessing during the course of your week, you rarely sit in a space that is occupied by this much diversity when it comes to ages and generations. I mean, even if you commute to work on the bus, um, you may have some diversity of ages, but they're all of working age, most of them, right? You don't have children like we had in here a few minutes ago. You don't, you know, you don't have that, you don't have all that, you don't have people who have, you know, are seniors and aren't working anymore on there, you know, that maybe, you go to see a movie, you know, you are sitting with people who are probably like the same movie and maybe are the same age as you are. It's very rare that these days that we come into a place and we have this much diversity when it comes to our generations and our ages, and I love that, and it's supposed to be that way in the church. It's one of the reasons why we do have the children in here for our music time and our worship time. That's not because we have no place else to put them. Uh, that is very intentional on our part because we, want, we don't want every family to come in the front doors of the building and everyone goes a different direction and never sees each other until amen, and then they come back and leave in the same car. We want people to stay together, to worship together. And yes, sometimes that's uncomfortable. And yes, sometimes that's hard and difficult. And so, you know, you just want to stand and sing, but you're watching your kid or you're watching someone else's kid. And you know what? That's the church. And that's part of who we are. That's part of being together as the family of God. And so I love that about us. But it can still be challenging at times to communicate across generations at times. Uh, sometimes, you know, I find, you know, you got a couple generations <laughs> trying to communicate to one another. And, and I love that picture because it looks like, you know, there's a conversation going on there. And there should be, right? This communication going across generations, it can be difficult. I found a couple other things. I love this one, different times, right? Hi, sweetie, how was your school day? You can read all about it on my blog, Dad. I mean, times have changed, right? You used to sit around and have a conversation. You know, it's just like you used to be able to, you know, when you went to see somebody, you know, you got to ask them, like, what's been going on? How have you been? You know, now you see them and you're like, oh, yeah, I already saw the pictures from your vacation already, you know. And it's like nothing to talk about. It's like a different, different age, you know. This one uh, was a, kind of a breakdown of the generations. I don't know what generation you fall in, right? So the boomers, you know, this is one guy's comical kind of take on it, boomers, you know. They have the pre-60s, which were not the 60s. Then they have the 60s, which a lot of them think were great, you know. And then it's not like it was in the 60s. And then they're in their 60s. And the Gen Xers, this is where I am, so this, is, this hurts a little bit, but I, there's a little bit of reality here, right? Pre-1990, we whined about the boomers. Then there's this short window where we wore plaid. And then after that window, we whined about the millennials. And, and I hate to admit that, but my generation, we're kind of we, whiners. Uh, we just kind of complain about things sometimes. We, we, you know, our, our theme songs are like rusted and weathered, like everything's so hard and difficult for us. I think we're growing out of that, but... But that's much of what we were. in the millennials, I think it's good. Millennials, new iPhone, new iPhone, new iPhone, new iPhone, new iPhone, new iPhone, <laughs> new iPhone. Marks of their generation. 
it's, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, communicating across this. I thought one of the, one of the best uh, commercials I saw lately uh, that kind of communicated what this is like, the difference between the generations. You might have seen this one about this older lady who was trying to show pictures from her vacation on Facebook. So she put them up on her wall, um, and it looked kind of like this, right? And, you know, <laughs> she's, she's showing face. She posted to her wall. Uh, and she's got her friends over to show them, and I love that line. You know, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And it's, you know, she said, I unfriend you. Um, And I love this, like trying to communicate across the generations how that can sometimes be a challenge. You know, Facebook's a funny one because Facebook, you know, a lot of people look at that and they say, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, social network trendy and everything. Except you talk to most kids these days and they're like, oh, that's what my parents use. Like, I don't want to be on Facebook. That's my parents' social networking app. Um, and, uh, And that seems strange to us, but it's communicating across generations. And yet, it's important. It's important for this to happen, right? Because if this never happens, you know, nothing ever gets passed on. You know, if it never happens, then, then as people get older and they pass on, what they fa- if they fail to pass on information, we lose out. We lose out on history. We lose out on experience. We lose out on heritage. We lose out on legacy, And so there's this important aspect of passing on and communicating through generations and across generations that's important. So, but two questions, what do we want to pass on and how do we do it? What do we want to pass on and how do we do it? So what do we want to pass on? I I think there's two types of things we usually want to pass on to a next generation. One is we want to pass on things that have value to us. They may not have value to anyone else, but they have value to us and value to us, maybe our family, and they have certain, maybe we call this a lot of times sentimental value, right? You may, you may have something and outside of your family, it may mean nothing to no one and not be worth anything, but to you and your family, it's like important. It's an heirloom. You know, it's something that is precious to you. This can be photographs. You know, this can be uh, a wedding dress. This can be, you know, certain things in your family that are important to you. They, you know, you put them on eBay. They're not going to fetch any money, but they are important to you. You know, I remember when my grandfather had retired from his medical practice and he was cleaning out his, uh, his office on... Um, uh, in, in Somerville, which he had been there for many, many years and been a family doctor and practitioner. And, and, and uh, he finally retired and, and he's cleaning out his office and he's getting rid of all this stuff and he's just like going to trash it and, and, and throw it away. And I'm helping him like clean it out. And he came across his cabinet and, and he was just going to get rid of it. And I thought, man, can I, you know, I asked him, I said, can I have this? Because I, I, I'd like to keep this. And he's like, well, was, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. And to him, I guess it didn't. And to most people, it wouldn't. You know, it's not worth a lot of money. But if you go in my office today, you know, in the corner of my office, you'll see this cabinet that's there um, that, you know, was, was also in my grandfather's office that when I was a kid and I went to him as a doctor, I remember seeing that in his office and filled with medical tools and all kinds of stuff that I usually wanted to stay away from. Um, but it was there, you know, for my childhood. I remember seeing that every time 
when I went there sitting on that awkward paper, um, and you think going to the doctor's awkward. You know, try it when your grandfather's your doctor and you're sitting on that paper and everything else you got to do there, right? But whatever, that's another story. Um, but that's, uh, but that's, you know, that was something that meant something to me. I put it on eBay. It's probably not going to be worth much money, but it's something of value to me that we pass on. We pass on things that have value to us. The other thing we pass on, I think, are things that have value to everyone. You know, maybe an inheritance. Uh, it's, it's money. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it is land. Maybe it's jewelry. These are things that are valuable. And so we, we, we steward them, we care for them, and we want to pass them on to someone. They are valuable and so we, we are careful to do that. So these are the things we pass on. These are the things that are important to us to pass on. I want to talk to you this morning about something else that I believe, especially as Christians, that it's important to pass on. And it's Psalm 71. I want to just share with you a couple verses. Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. And this is what the psalmist writes in this passage. He says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. And in this psalm, what we have here is something that the psalmist writes, I want to pass on to the next generation this faith I have in God. That God has been so good to me that I want to pass it on. That in fact, my life would not be complete. My mission would not be complete unless I passed on this faith to the next generation. And it's, it's interesting that it's in this world where we often put together bucket lists and we put all kinds of things on our bucket lists and we want to go here and have this experience and not miss that and not miss this. This is almost a bucket list for this, this, this guy that's writing this psalm. And he says, on my bucket list, God, by your grace, I don't want to die without passing on this faith to the next generation. That's his bucket list. I don't want to die. You know, I can pass on money. I can pass on all these other things that might be valuable to our family, and that would be fine. But if I die without passing on this faith in God to the next generation, then I have not completely lived. Then I have not, then I have not finished living because this is a responsibility that I have, and this is what's important to me to get done. And so it's as Christians and those of us who are Christians and believers, this is one of the most valuable things we have. And one of the things maybe we don't think enough about how to pass it on. You may have met with a lawyer and how to pass on your assets. Maybe you sat down and talked to someone and said, well, how how am I going to pass these things on? What about the law? What about the tax laws? Is it a trust or is it a will? What about estate planning? And you sit down, you think about how do I pass these things on? But how often do we think about how am I going to pass on this faith to the next generation? Because according to this psalmist, I think what he's saying is this faith falls into both those categories. 
It is something that is of value to me, but it is something that is valuable to everybody. And so I need to pass it on to the next generation. The longer we live, the more responsibility we have to make sure the message outlives us. The longer you live, the more responsibility you have to make sure the message outlives you. The older you get, the more generations you get to speak to. Right? I mean, that's, so with that comes responsibility. If you are in your 80s or your 90s, you have the responsibility to speak to three generations, maybe four generations. So the longer we live, the more responsibility we have to make sure that the message we have will outlive us. And I know this is Mother's Day, and this is a great responsibility and opportunity for everyone who's a mom and who is, you know, a Christian. You have this great opportunity to pass on this faith. And it's a responsibility, but it's not only moms. This psalmist is not talking as a parent. He's just talking as a follower of Jesus. That I have a responsibility to proclaim this to the next generation. I may or may not have biological children. You may or may not have biological... I shouldn't say that. I do have biological children. You may or may not have biological children, but that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying you, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who loves God, you've got a responsibility to proclaim to the next generation Jesus. Some of you do that by ministering in our children's ministries on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. You pour into kids who are not in your house. They're not necessarily your kids, but you are pouring into them because of this. Because you feel a responsibility and an obligation to pass on your faith to the next generation. So that's what's important to pass on to the next generation. But the question is how? How do we do it? And I think that's often our question. Okay, fine, Pastor Rick, good. How do we do it, though? So it's important and it's valuable, but how does it happen? Well, I think with passing on our faith, it's often like passing on a lot of traditions and things in our life to another generation. And it often happens, it often is as much caught as it is taught. And it often happens through routine. Things are learned through routine in our lives, and they're often more caught than taught. It happens in your life. You may, if you're a parent, you may not realize how much your kids are watching you and learning. Even when you're not trying to teach them, you are teaching them. I remember an example of this when Wendy and I were first married. And we were living in a small apartment, and I was a full-time student, and she was working full-time, and I was doing uh, most of, uh, or a lot of the cooking, uh, and so I'd cook dinner lots of times, and I would uh, fry up meatballs or, or chicken, and, and, and after that, uh, you know, if you do that, you fry up some meatballs, you fry up some chicken, what you have left afterwards is this pan full of oil or grease, right? And the question is, what do you do with this? Well, what I did with it is I wait for it to cool, and I would pour it into a jar, an old pickle jar or, or, or something, right? And then I'd put that jar in the freezer, and I'd freeze the grease. And that's what I would do every time. And so eventually, Wendy comes home and goes in the freezer at some point and finally gets tired of seeing all these. So why are we keeping jars of frozen grease in the freezer? 
And I said, well, because that's what you do. As you know, you, you take grease, and, you know, after you're done cooking, you just put it in the freezer, and, and that's, that's, how you, that's what you do with it. And she says, no, it's not. Nobody does that. What are you talking about? And I was like, no, this is what you do with grease. Well, how do you know? Because that's, what do you think my answer was? What my mom did with the grease. So I said, well, I'll call her up and find out why that is. So I called up my mom. And I said, yeah, well, you know, you, you make the meatballs, you have the grease, you, you put it in the jar, you put it in the freezer, right? Why do we do that? She says, what are you talking about? She said, I haven't done that for years. We used to have a septic tank, and you couldn't pour grease down the drain. So I would put it in the jars and freeze it and then throw it away. But then sewage came in, and now we don't need to do that. We can dump it down the drain, and it's no big deal. And I said, oh, well. Back to Wendy and said, look, there's a good reason. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I didn't do that made a confession. But it's like that, right? I remember the story hearing about a, a woman who used to always, you know, cut the ends off her ham, you know, and she said, because that's how you cook a ham. She finally asked her mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And she said, because it was too big for the pan. So I used to <laughs> cut the ends. I didn't have a pan that was big enough. So many things are passed on more caught than taught. So many things are passed on through routine in life, Right? And uh, it's true with our faith, too, that oftentimes we're going to pass on things through the routines that we keep in life. God knows this. This is one of the reasons why when you read through the Old Testament, a lot of times you see these festivals and these feasts and these holy days that God put in place. Well, why? Why the festival uh, in the Feast of Tabernacles and Passover and Pentecost? Why these feasts throughout their year? Why? One very big reason is to create a routine in their life that would be a space where they could pass on their faith to the next generation. How many of you have ever been to a Passover meal or a Passover Seder meal? Been to one of those meals, right? If you haven't been to one, next year, Easter week, Holy Week, we're going to have a Passover Seder here at Mount Hope in the Family Life Center. If you haven't been to one, you want to come to one. But if you've been to one, you know how they go. You know how it happens. That they walk through the Passover meal, and as a part of the Passover meal and liturgy, there's all these questions that are asked, and these questions are asked by the children who are present. The questions are like, why is this night different than other nights? And there's an explanation given. Why on other nights do we eat uh, matzah and bread with yeast, but on this night we only eat matzah? Well, and the question, and then the response is given, and the response is a telling of the story of Passover and deliverance of God's deliverance of people. And what it is, is a way to pass on faith to the next generation. So God puts in place these feasts and these festivals in the rhythm of their year and in the rhythm of their life so that they can have a way to pass on their faith. Well, we don't keep a lot of those feasts and festivals. Christmas and Easter don't count. They weren't on the calendar. They weren't instituted by God. You're not going to find those in the Bible. They're good times to remember the incarnation and the resurrection, but that's, you know, we kind of do that. Uh, But we don't have any of the other feasts that God, like, instituted in our calendar, except one. Except one. There's one we still keep. There's one holy day we still keep. And you're keeping it right now. Sabbath, right? Sabbath. 
there is this one day that we, this one aspect, this one holy day we still keep, and the reason we still keep it, it's a part of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't a part of the uh, ritualistic, the religious law, the ceremonial law. It was a part of the moral law that God instituted that we keep and that we still keep and that did not go away with the cross of Jesus Christ. And so you'll find in the list of the Ten Commandments is that Sabbath, and you might ask, you might have read through perhaps the Ten Commandments before, and you're like, okay, I understand the do not murder and, you know, do not commit adultery and envy. I mean, those things are going to cause problems. I understand no other gods before me, no idols. Okay, that makes sense. But why Sabbath? Why not another? Why is Sabbath in there? And I think there's multiple reasons. This isn't a sermon on Sabbath. But I think one of the primary reasons is because all of the other commandments needed a place to be taught. All of the other commandments needed a way and a place to learn them. And the Sabbath provides a place for rest and remembering and ritual and passing on of the faith. And so we do that every time we remember the Sabbath. We get together to remember and to pass on all of who God is and what God has done. And so we remember it. And so God, in, in, there's two lists of the Ten Commandments. You may not realize that. But in Scripture, there are two lists of the Ten Commandments. And in both of them, of course, is the commandment to remember the Sabbath. The first list of Ten Commandments is found in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11, says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus chapter 20. There's a second place that this commandment is given, another list of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals nor the alien within your gates so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Both of these commands have commands to rest and remember. The word Sabbath itself means cease or rest, and so that's important. We cease from our work And it's important because God put that in because when you cease from your work, you remember that it all does not depend upon you. You remember when you cease from work that the world goes on without you. The sun still sets and rises, rain still falls, crops still grow, and you rested from your work and the world still turns and goes on. And we can remember that it's in God's control. When we rest from our work, we remember that we are not in control and that we are not nearly as important as we make ourselves out to be, that God is the one who is important. So we rest and we cease from our work. It is a reminder and it is also a proclamation that I can rest from work and trust God. See, remember when they came out of, when they were first given the Ten Commandments, they're coming out of 400 years of slavery, no days off, no days off. God says, take one day in seven 
stop. You don't need to work because I'm working. And remember me. Here's where I think these two lists of the Sabbath are important and relevant to us this morning. The question of uh, passing on our faith. You may have picked up on it. You may have not because I read them kind of quickly. Did you notice their differences between the two giving of the Ten Commandments? So let me put them side by side for you, and you can see it a little better. God's reasons for the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20, just a small section of it. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but the seventh day, but the seventh he rested on the, but he rested on the seventh day. Deuteronomy chapter 5, why are we supposed to remember the Sabbath? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They're different. Same command, same, you know, uh, you know, direction to observe the Sabbath, but different reasons why you're supposed to observe the Sabbath. And this is the only real difference in the two lists of the Ten Commandments. All the others stay the same. This is the only one that really has a change in it. It doesn't change the command. It just changed the ground for it. Why? Why the change? Well, the change comes because they're spoken to different groups of people, and actually, they're spoken to different generations. Exodus was spoken to the first generation that just got delivered from Egypt out of 400 years of slavery. They did not need to be reminded that God had just delivered them from slavery. They knew it. They're carrying the gold and silver that the Egyptians had just given them. They just came through the parting of the Red Sea. There's the dirt from the bottom of the Red Sea is still on their sandals. They don't have to be reminded that God is their deliverer. What they need to be reminded of is that after 400 years of slavery, you can rest. Because they're probably saying, man, we need to get to work. We got to build a nation. So we got to do it just the way we did in Egypt. We got to work seven days a week and we got to get it done and we've got to build it. And we're going to do this because it all depends on our strength. And God's saying, no, remember the Sabbath because it does not all depend on your strength. And you need to rest. And I'm at work when you're not at work. But then Deuteronomy is 40 years later. Most of that previous generation has died off. Everyone who came through the Red Sea is just about died off. And so they need to be reminded. On this Sabbath day, remember that God has delivered you out of slavery. Because you weren't there and you might forget. So I want you to take a day, and on that day, I want you to rest and remember. Make it a routine of your week. Make it a routine of your life to rest and remember. I'm putting this in your routine of life so that you will rest and remember and not forget what God has done. And in that, so Sabbath is grounded both in creation and redemption. Sabbath is grounded both in the creation, and it's also where God gives you value. You're valued because God created you and because God redeemed you. And we have a greater redemption that's come, not just from uh, slavery to man or to, or to any human. We have a redemption from sin through Jesus Christ. And so we gather on Sunday because our deliverance came on a Sunday and was given by Jesus Christ on that day. And so we remember and gathered here today because of that. So the way... What we want to pass on is our faith. One way 
One important way to do it, and I understand I'm preaching from the choir. You're saying, Pastor, we're here. What are you talking about? We got it. It's a good reminder for us. For one way is to build the routine into our, every, into our lives of resting and remembering. Now, it's great to do it once a week, but where in your life, in your family, are you also instituting this routine? We spend thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to take this gospel message around the world, and we should. We need to take the gospel where it has not gone. We will invest time and energy and money to take the gospel around the corner, and we should. We should launch a campus in Belmont. We should have ladies' teas. We should have things that reach out and share the gospel with our community. We should. We spend time and energy teaching children in our church about the faith, and we should. But in doing all that, I ask you not to neglect your greatest opportunity. And those are the ones that are closest to you in that next generation. If you're a parent and you've got kids in your home, have you, do you creatively think through, how do I pass on this faith to this next generation? I want those missionaries to do it. What about me? How do I do that? One of the ways is through routine, and it's through building that in your life. It happens through decisions uh, that you make for your family that build that into the routine of your life to rest and remember who God is and what he's done. As I close out this message this morning, I want to uh, uh, share with you a story of uh, one, one family's story. Everyone's got uh, there's probably a, there's a lot of stories I could have chosen and asked to share today, but I want you to hear just one family's story of, uh, along these lines of passing on the importance of passing on faith to the next generation, what that looked like for them, and, uh, and what the results have been. And I just want to uh, share that with you this morning. So I've asked Fred and Rosa Stefano to come up and join me this morning and share a little bit of their story. Would you welcome them as they come this morning? So many of you might know Fred and Rosa. Uh, you've been coming to Mount Hope for how long now? 20 years. 20 years. Okay, so they've been around a little while. Um, and um, you got four kids, mm-hmm. four grandkids, right? And uh, thank the Lord for that. You, uh, but you didn't, I know your story, and some people here might, but a lot of people might not. Uh, you weren't uh, raised in a church like this, um, and, uh, but at some point, uh, you had a time where you had to make a decision and that uh, impacted uh, really you and your family for years to come. And would you just share a little bit about, you know, what that, when that was and what that decision was like? Just kind of tell us a little bit about it. Uh, it goes back to uh, 96, I think right around April and May. So we were in the Catholic Church and so forth. And so we were running around with my wife and I in the afternoon and, uh, I'm listening to a game on the radio, and all of a sudden the game goes off. And she says to me, uh, very, very, very firm. Uh, I, need, I need a change. So, you know, the first thing I thought about is, wait a second. 
<laughs> Wait a second. Let me think for about 10 seconds here. So, because you thought she was going to change you out. I thought I, yeah. I thought you, were, was, you were afraid that's where this was, was going. There was one foot out the door and one foot falling, but it wasn't <laughs> going to be easy for her. That was not going to be, she would have had the battle. So, <clears throat> I said, well, I got to listen to it, so what's changed? So she said, look, she says, um, we need more God in this family. We need to be fed more than we are being fed. We, um, I'm just not, I just not feel that we're, where we are, we should be somewhere else with God. I said, I'm back in. <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I knew she was going to Bible studies, and I didn't interfere with that. I supported that. So I said, well, what, what's your plan? And she says, uh, we need to find more of God. We need to find another church, become Christians, born-again Christians. This was definitely new to me. Uh, I was definitely new. So I said, okay. I says, uh, one thing came to my mind that was very important to me, and I knew it was important to Rosa too, that we had children from seven years old to 17. And, you know, you just don't go home and tell your kids that you know, they become born-again Christians. They have to understand where we're trying to go and so forth and what, what this is going to mean to them in life. And it's meant a tremendous thing in life for them. They've been blessed. And we've been blessed. So I said to Rosa, what, what do you think your plan is? And she says, well, she says, we have friends who go to Faith Fellowship in Winchester. We had some friends that went to Grace Chapel. And we knew Jim and Bev for a long time uh, through a business relationship for Jim and I that we knew the Christian Center. So I said, okay, let's, let's go, the two of us, and then we can prepare our children. This is where we're going to go and explain to them and talk to them. So we went from Faith Fellowship to Grace and back to the Christian Center. And we chose the Christian Center at the time. Let's... Let's see this, how this works. Let's get into this. So <clears throat> we went to a, ser- a service with Pastor Crosby, and um, we all went as a family. So it went well. It was different. And I can remember leaving <clears throat> and saying to the kids, again, from 7 to 17, okay, I'll start with the oldest. You know, Christina, what would you think? And she was okay. I mean, you know, she's exactly, you know, she takes time to understand how, what we're doing. Same thing with Mike and Dan. And then Freddie was seven. So I tried to get some feedback. And, because I was determined as a father, being obligated <clears throat> and responsible, that we stay together as a family in our faith. And we walk together through it. It wasn't just going to be a, a mom and a dad thing. So Freddie says to me, <clears throat> Dad, I don't know if you kept an eye on things, but it was two hours. <laughs> so I says, that's a, that's a very good answer. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a good answer. So I said, well, let, let, me, let me give you some feedback here. How much does God do for us all week long and we can't give him two hours? I said, that's out. And, you know, it's just that We've been blessed since then. 
And one thing that, that's very key to me is the fact that I had, a, I had a wife that took a lot for her to speak up. And I sort of felt a little bad about that because I think they should be able, she should be able to speak up when something's on her mind or something that she's thinking about doing. So she really blessed my, not only her husband, her children, her four grandchildren. And, you know, it's just, in, it, it's just an awesome opportunity to be where we are. Mm. And we're great. definitely thankful. Thank you. What were, you, you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but there were some sacrifices oh, yeah. making a decision like that family-wise. Some of the people sitting here understand, you know, when you make a decision like that, there are some sacrifices you're making. Can you talk a little bit about what it meant to make that decision for your family and what some of the sacrifices were? You mean basically coming out of the Catholic Church? Your family, my your family. ties, all that. It was really hard because no one in my family would dare to leave the Catholic Church. My mom was very, very hardcore Catholic, a wonderful Catholic, though. She loved the Lord. But I knew we needed more. I knew if I was going to bring these kids up, I was going to need more. We were going to need more of God in our lives. They needed more of God in their lives. So it was really hard for us. Um, Freddie had just received communion. Danny was getting ready to take. Michael had just um, received confirmation. Danny was ready for confirmation classes. And at one point, he says to me, Mom, you're totally confusing me. He said, because, you know, you want me to go to this church where supposed to be saved believers and you're still taking me to the Catholic Church but I just couldn't it was really really hard um, I think that and, and it was also the kids were um, they would come in and see us I would have Bible studies in my house and and the kids would see us doing that and I think that was a good thing for them to see um, the thing about it now is that Christina has Bible study. Christina and Dan have Bible studies in their house. Michael has led Bible studies here at the church and at his church. Danny's been in Bible studies, and I know Fred and Courtney are part of Bible studies at Grace and leadership at Grace. So it's amazing how generation-wise, you know, we were doing a Bible study at our house. The next thing I know, my kids are doing it. It's just such a blessing. But it wasn't easy. It was struggles, you know, in the beginning. It was a lot of struggles for the kids, too. I mean, just understanding what we were doing, it was a big change for them. Right, right. Um, what would you say to the person who's here who says, look, I didn't have parents that uh, led me that way. I didn't have parents that, you know, I wish I had parents that had uh, kind of passed on the faith to me and I didn't have it. What, what would your response be to that? I would probably say that, I mean, when we looked at our kids, they were like, Freddie said they were from 17 to 7 years old and I remember leaving here at times in tears thinking my kids will never ever be able to understand and, and want what I have and what I want in, you know, in a life with Christ but somehow some way through prayer it was just a lot of praying all the time and, and then you're at the other end of it and you look back and it's like oh my God you did this I didn't do it God did it mm. You know, so, I mean, you can never give up on those things, I would say. Definitely never give up, you know. And it was worth it. Yeah. Does that answer your question? That's good. Yeah, that's it. That's good. Anything else that you want to share? Well, you know, go ahead. Um, oh, and yeah. our grandkids, too, are now. You know, the, the thing we like to share is that, uh, you know, we, Kim is five years old, and, you know, he, he now and then will pop up and say, Papa, can I pray for the mail? Mm. And he does. Mm. And he learned that here, mm. you know. And um, 
we're, we're, we're forever grateful because this is, we have family, but you are our family. This church is our family. You sort of stuck with us. So, but, uh, so we really appreciate that and the pastor staff and Pastor Rick and so forth. And the other unique thing is, is that when you um, brought on community groups, um, I, can't, I can't wait for the community group. I mean, Jim and Beb do a great job. We have fun. We laugh. But we also have the word. You know, we also have God with us. You know what I'm saying? So the community groups, is, they're awesome. We're grateful. We're grateful for the church family and so forth. And I'm, we're both very grateful <clears throat> and appreciative of what, how our kids took this <clears throat> and carrying it through life now. Because you say to yourself, why didn't you do this 40 years ago? Why did you wait 20 I guess say one thing, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for her. So I'm very grateful for that. You know, and um, so it's 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 all and she's right. Thank thank God for everything. We really do. So we just want to say thank you for being part of this. Amen. We thank Fred and Rosa for sharing. going to ask our music ministry to return and we'll close out. Just an example. It was one decision, but it's never just one decision, right? It's one decision that starts a routine of decisions that is what changes a generation, that's what changes a legacy, that's what changes a family. So you may be here and you may be saying, oh, I wish I, I, wish I started 20 years ago. You know, maybe today is your time to come and ask the Lord to help you start today. And maybe your kids are somewhere between 7 and 17, or maybe they're beyond that. Maybe they're outside the house. Maybe they're not under your roof anymore, but still time today to start having a routine of passing on that faith to the next generation. Or maybe you don't have kids in your home to ask God to help you to fulfill this call, to proclaim it to the next generation, to proclaim it to the next generation that you have not fully lived until your faith is going to outlive you in someone else. That that's your bucket list. Passing it on to the next generation. And it's a great responsibility. And so maybe today that'll be your challenge or your challenge to do that. How am I going to do this, Lord? How will I pass it on to that next generation? How will I fulfill this call in my life? Or maybe you're here and you feel like, you know what? There's so many things I could have done better. You look back and you feel a little guilty at times. We all can, right? Where none of us are perfect. And we all feel like, oh, I could, I could have done that better. I could have mothered better there and fathered better there and, and passed on something better there. But that's not what this is about. It's about saying today, from this day forward, what can I do to proclaim the Lord's goodness and grace to the next generation, to instill that so that I can pass on a faith, so I can live in such a way that my faith will outlive me. Building in that routine of rest and remembrance. In one way, you're doing it already by showing up here. By showing up here today. Some of you are here today and you're a mom and your kids are like, hey, let's go out to lunch. And you had to tell them, hey, after church. Because they're not in church with you. And that's one way to remind them, look, this is my routine. This, the Lord is important to me. This is one way I remember God 
This is one thing in my life that is not going to change. In some ways, every time you walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, you are making a proclamation of faith in God as we rest and remember him together. You are making a proclamation of where your faith is. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I thank you for Fred and Rosa and their story and for the many stories like them in these seats, Lord. I thank you that you are the God who does change and transform lives. That no life is beyond hope. That no life is beyond your reach and your touch. That you are the God who changes legacies. That you are the God who changes eternities. And it happens through an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for that man and that woman that's in here today. Lord, and they can look at their life. And and at this point, the legacy is not what they'd want it to be. I thank you that you are the God who is not finished with the work who is going to complete the work that you have begun, that you would help us to have a legacy that would outlive us, not only on this earth, but through eternity. People who would know you and love you. Lord, I ask that you would give us a passion as a church, not only to see people around the world come to know you, but people around the block and maybe people across the hall in our own home. Lord, that we would value so much what we have and what you've given us that it would become our mission and our task to proclaim it to the next generation and that our life is not fully lived until our faith dwells in someone else and outlives us. Lord, I pray that we would be that kind of church and that kind of people and may we do it to your glory and in your name. Amen.